Hey, this is a Jose Galison of No Way Jose of the Liberty Movement YouTube channel. Today, our guest is Daniel Elwood of Actual Anarchy. Uh, real quick before we go into it, I come to clarify something because I, I was just thinking about it. I feel like maybe you guys might be a little confused. The YouTube channel, the our YouTube channel, the Liberty Movement YouTube channel, is not meant to just be the No Way Jose spot. Like we're trying to have a, a, a group of shows. So I don't know if you've noticed, we had another show that uh, popped in there called Daniel Three. I know it's funny. I'm trying to be like less confusing. It might be more confusing because I have another Daniel here, not this Daniel, another Daniel, and he does an anarcho-Christian type show. And uh, so he has his own channel as well. He's going to be hosting the content uh, on our channel. He'll have it on both, but like stuff that more fits the stuff that we would want to see is going to be on there. And he'll have like longer content and other content on his channel. So point being, we're trying to get other stuff on there too, get other stuff popping. If you are interested too, if you're someone who's always wanted to start a show, if you have something, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to be cultural and non-political. Uh, vaguely. I mean, I, I know you, you can get in the weeds and your definition of what political is, but like, say, for example, you want to do a sports show and you're just a liberty minded individual. I mean, cool. You know, like hop on. We're, we're kind of the way we say is we're trying to sort of play leftist games where it's like they put their people up and help elevate each other. You know, we're kind of doing the same thing. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a libertarian show, but we're just trying to find people within that space that are doing just different stuff and kind of help them help them out with what they're doing, you know. And we kind of figure, you know, have a holistic approach if we kind of work together and kind of, you know, help build up our content. If you want to, like, do out at any time, go for it. Um, anyways, I don't want to, I could go on a whole long spiel with that. We'll get get to our guest, Daniel. Um, he – oh, I just had a brain fart. Uh, <laughs> uh, Daniel, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, how are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I want to just let everyone know real quick. Um, it's not the video. Daniel's just a uh, just a fuzzy – has a fuzzy face. So – <laughs> That's right. It's November has now ended, and so yeah. I'll, I'll be cutting this off soon and be less fuzzy. I assume yeah. that'll sharpen my camera as well. <laughs> yeah, you just have a low resolution face. So. That's right. <laughs> so Daniel, he's a uh, of the uh, the uh, God dang it, I'm just like stammering today. Uh, the actual Anarchy Podcast. Uh, I'm just gonna want to have you take a minute to talk about yourself, introduce yourself to the to our audience, and then also your podcast as well. Certainly. Yeah. So I'm Daniel Elwood. I do the actual Anarchy podcast, as well as a version called The Last Nighters, which has a less scary name. But essentially what we do is we review movies from a somewhat libertarian anarcho-capitalist perspective. But uh, the, the Last Nighters version is a little bit, you know, a little bit of subterfuge. So it's intended to get normies to listen to a movie review and then get peppered with a little bit of libertarian theory or uh, Austrian economics. Uh, I also run a couple of other things like readrothbard.com. I have a website, danielelwood.com. There's a link to all the stuff that I do. But the, me the main thing is actualenergy.com, which has the uh, full version of the show, and then lastnighters.com, which has a slightly shorter version. So it's a show within a show. Uh, the actual anarchy version is a little bit longer, and the last nighters is a little bit shorter. So what, what do you do with the last nighters? Do you just kind of, what, what do you just like edit out the content to make it a little more normie suitable? Is that kind of what you're doing? Yeah, we kind of produce the show live. So we'll record using the same software you're using now. And we have a little bumper intro video. And then we start the show as actual anarchy. Uh, and then we switch over to Last Nighters doing a little bumper, introduce our guests, talk about the movie, give it a rating review at the end. And then we close out that show. And then we continue for a few more minutes as actual anarchy before we move into the Patreon bonus content, which we call Kathleen Turner Overdrive. 
So it's it's kind of all done on the fly, essentially. Okay. And cool. Yeah. The middle chunk is the same. Uh, Last Nighter's portion is all in the actual Anarchy version. Just actual Anarchy audience gets a little bit more at the front and a little bit more at the end. And I usually try to save like a spicy question at the end that maybe the normies wouldn't be too uh, too keen with. So mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a little little Easter eggs in there. Yeah. So a little bit like kind of conversation we were having before, where we were talking about a little bit more like. Hoppa type uh, philosophy area <laughs> stuff yeah, that I mean, a lot of libertine type individuals don't care for. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and yeah, we didn't record that part. It's probably no. good. <laughs> yeah, you can let your imagination run wild. It, it's probably not as bad as you think it is, <laughs> <laughs> or worse. I mean, who knows? Or worse, whatever. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is a. Uh, you you kind of seem to have a knack for uh, taking taking things that people love and uh, ruining them to some extent. <laughs> uh, you had a gentleman on, or you were on the Urban Agorist, and you also did another podcast where you've already covered it before. You kind of shit all over V for Vendetta. Um, if I remember correctly, though, you were more shitting on it from not so much at a film perspective, so, but you were more from the perspective of that it's not really the ideal libertarian movie in a sense, or... Rothbardian movie. Like you were more tearing it down from that perspective. I think you had some critiques from a movie as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just kind of vaguely remembering. Yeah, I mean, we did that one a couple of years ago, and then we were on Urban Agorist with with James and, and talking about about it as well. Um, we were mostly talking about how a lot of movies, what the viewer brings to it is what they'll see. So, like a lot of people will view a movie like View for Vendetta or The Matrix and say, oh, this is an allegory allegory for my way of thinking. And they'll find scenes or things in, in, within the movie that kind of highlight things that are part of their uh, ideology or their philosophy. And I feel like a lot of people saw V from Vendetta, and that was made in an anti-war, anti-George W. Bush uh, sort of time. And it's, um, but Alan Moore, who's the uh, creator of, of the book and, or the, whatever, you, you know, the, uh, graphic novel, I guess it's mm-hmm. like a comic kind of series. Yeah, comic, yeah. You know, he, he's a left-leaning guy. He, he, it's a socialist critique of like where he thinks capitalism leads. And similarly, Brett Easton Ellis, uh, has a similar critique of capitalism in American psycho, which is the other one you wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually, Alan Moore is actually probably like one of my favorite comic writers and he's straight up an ancom and he's an asshole too. He's just, at me. I don't really necessarily like him as a person. He's a great writer. Uh, I'm assuming you guys probably didn't read the comic book before before watching the movie. I mean, most people don't. I'm just guessing. Yeah, or, I or think my my co-host had, but I, I had not, no. Yeah, because I do think you get a lot more out of the book, but I do think the my, usually how I break down is the movie was more relatable for a, a modern audience. It's kind of how I looked at it, so... But the book kind of went more into the philosophy, but yeah, it's straight up... The way I usually explain V from Dead, it's kind of like a a, we're like a where boog boys and ancoms kind of meet <laughs> like, it's like yeah. that kind of fantasy and like there's i don't know it's fun there's something there although it's not like it's more like a, if i wanted to kind of lightly introduce someone to the ideas of libertarianism to some extent just for like in a fun way but i would not be like this is the ideal to be measured up to in any shape shape or form you know <laughs> right yeah, i mean there's definitely an anti-authoritarian message in there which which i really like uh, and, and so that's appealing to it. And, and that's what I first saw when I watched the movie the first time back when it came out. But, uh, as we are wont to do, we'll watch movies again with these, you know, fresh eyes with 
and you know note taking and like trying to look for themes and things and, and things worth discussing and yeah it kind of ruins a lot of things for us it ruined american psycho for me uh you know one of the things we really noticed when we did our review of it was that as cool as the scenes are and as memorable as some of the scenes are if you can take those scenes and move them anywhere within the structure of the movie and there's not really a, much of a plot holding it together that becomes a bit of an issue so I likened it in our review of like listening to music and not knowing all the lyrics, like knowing some of the lyrics and sort of like singing along, but only sort of. That's how I view having watched American Psycho the first time. Like it was fun and entertaining. I wasn't really like understanding everything. And I think part of it is because like, there's not a whole lot to understand <laughs> as, yeah. as far as the narrative plot structure. Uh, but there are definitely memorable scenes and, uh, Bale gives a very charismatic performance. Uh, it was the thing that, you know, made him break out. And, uh, it's, it's one of those few movies from that era that you'll still remember. You know, there's a, there's always a handful of movies from every year that are just like the ones you'll think about 10, 20 years later. And that, that's one of them. Yeah. No, yeah, uh, I don't know if you want to do it this way and have, maybe you go full on and into your review of it of of it and then i'll kind of provide some critique because i do think there's an interesting uh how, how have you gone deep into the the rabbit trail or at all into the whole like conkin essentially an agorism because i think there's something interesting there in breaking it down from a like a, a libertarian perspective of that movie i just i know that's kind of jumping the gun a little bit i'm just kind of curious if you haven't that's fine most people haven't i just because one of the most renowned things that conkin's known for is having a, a kind of a dispute between Rothbard and it's very similar to kind of some the focus of your criticism of the movie, you know, sorry, I threw a lot at you there, but <laughs> take what you no, want. No, it's fine. I'm, I'm familiar with Konkin and agorism in a peripheral way. I haven't read mm -hmm. him, but you know, I am familiar with like the concepts of counter economics and doing things, uh, gray market, black market, et cetera, things to uh, avoid the state, bleed the state, whatever to, um, you know, weaken the state. Now, how effective those things are, I, I, I don't really know. seems like they can just make up however much money they want, uh, and it doesn't seem to affect them. Uh, eventually, you know, I think the Mises crack-up boom will eventually occur, but if it hasn't happened yet, I don't know what it'll take. Yeah. You know, the uh, debt has, uh, what, doubled under uh, Trump, and it doubled under Obama, and it doubled under GWB. Uh, at some point, um, you know, the chicken's got to come home to roost. So I'm not sure how much like a pocket of agorists, even if it's like a million people, is how, how that's going to affect it uh, all that much. OK. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I probably I probably got a little ahead of myself. That's something I should bring up later. But I think there's something interesting there because I kind of want to uh, after watching because I have seen your uh, breakdown of, of this. I already watched the, the uh, your and you, like you already you basically gave a shortened version of it already where it was kind of just not structurally sound and just kind of you didn't really seem to get the meaning. So I kind of have a rebuttal there to some extent and also a lot of agreements. And then on the other side of a more looking at it through the perspective of Rothbard, I think there's something really interesting there. If anyone who's read Konkin might be getting what I'm getting at now. And I'll be I'll be a little less elusive when we get to that part. But I kind of <laughs> want to <laughs> I kind of want to get into um all right, I will be. I, you are completely right. There, the the narrative structure of this movie kind of fucking sucks, and there are a lot of really cool scenes, like a lot of really cool scenes, and it is kind of all over the place. And after rewatching, because I just rewatched with my wife, and I think there was actually some use to have my wife there too to have like some uh, non biased fresh eyes that had never seen it to kind of watch it with me. 
But um, one thing, um, like you did bring up the, the, the narrative structure shit. Um, and I did, I did notice that there was like, I feel like watching the movie a lot probably got cut and left on the editing floor. Like I just got that vibe. Cause there was a lot of things I felt like they maybe narrative trails they meant to go down and they never did. Or just like, it just felt like it was kind of poorly edited. And there were just some things that like, they, I felt like they could have done differently. But I don't know if you got this out of the film, but the one big thing is that I always really loved about this movie is that the way it ends, and this could be just a matter of when it comes to art, you know, people can kind of, you know, it's subjective to an extent and people can get different experiences out of it. I mean, I think there's kind of a balance where it can be like, this is trash, like objectively. But <laughs> for me, when I watch it the first time through, I the way the ending was for me is it left it open to where it was like, Kind of the, is this real? Is it not? And mm -hmm. obviously, anyone who's watched the movie knows at least some of it is wasn't real. Because, I mean, he has that one scene where he's just like, you know, has the ATM, tells him to feed him the cat. And it's like, that. that's obviously not real. Like, to some extent, I, and that's another kind of thing I was getting at where I don't even know if they should have really included that. I feel like that may not have been needed. So I feel like that may have been a little bit over the top and kind of took away from the what I'm about to get at. But the way the movie ended is I feel like it purposely left it to where it was like, is this real? Is it not? And the cool thing about it is I think it was, I mean, at least in my opinion, this is, this is my subjective view of it, is it almost works that way in which it can be either way you want. It's like intentionally left that way. And I think it, the cool thing about it is it almost made it so it was two different movies, depending on how you viewed it. And it kind of had two entirely different morals of the story. Like the way I always saw it is if, if it was all fake, like none of it was fucking real, you know, at least the parts of him, like, killing chicks and all the crazy shit, then I think the, the, the one line of the movie kind of encapsulates the whole the whole line. The line of the movie is, like, inside doesn't matter because he's talking about, like, the shit that's inside of his head. And I think that's kind of an interesting kind of perspective that, like, because for me, I mean, my wife even pointed out after watching this, like, you know why you like this so much? And I'm like, why? And she's like, this is kind of you in a lot of ways. <laughs> oh, <whoa. laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm not a psycho killer, but I mean, some things I identified with, like, because it kind of goes into the intrusive thoughts and like just the crazy shit that goes up inside between people's ears, you know, that a lot of people don't normally talk about, like the craziness where you kind of maybe feel like maybe to the outside world, you're a good person. But to you, you're like, I'm a crazy motherfucker because some of the shit that goes on up in there, you know, mm -hmm. and it's kind of that's kind of the whole point. If you choose to view the movie from that perspective, that it's inside doesn't matter, you know, like you can be a complete sick motherfucker but at the end of the day it doesn't matter it's your actions that you know really and your perceived how you're perceived to the world that really in a superficial sense matters you know which i mean it's kind of an interesting you know i mean it's not really that deep but kind of interesting and then then on the other hand if if it was real then the, then the narrative becomes it kind of plays into the whole like corporate you know wall street how no one gives a shit about anybody because the only way that could be real was if there was just a complete utter like you know not caring about people kind of deal like because you know they, they kind of played on multiple times throughout the movie how you know like they would switch up names like crazy and you'd be like oh you're tom and like no i'm bob or whatever you know and mm -hmm. these are people who've met each other over and over again because they're just such self-absorbed people so it's that's kind of my perspective is that it kind of like ends in that way where it's like depending on how you choose to view the movie, it takes on an entirely different meaning. And I think it, there was definitely a lot of room for that to be done in a better way because there's like, like I said, there was a lot of shit that like, I think, you know, they didn't really do a good narrative structure to where it was kind of balanced all over the place, but, and they could, they totally could move scenes around, 
<laughs> like, and it's not good in a technical sense for the most part. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I, I guess I, I kind of just threw a lot at you. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, if you've ever looked at it in that perspective or not. Yeah, I think we brought this up a little bit in our episode and, and my co-host Robert uh, was saying, you know, if this was all just in his head, then that would make him unhappy. Because uh, mm. then that's like a lazy way out, you know, to present all this stuff and like, oh, but none of it was ever real. So you have this unreliable narrator, narrative uh, structure. Um, I agree that it can be read in different ways. Uh, it, you know, the, the feeding the cat to the ATM clearly is a cue that there is a you know psychological issue going on here there's a separation from reality happening and so that's maybe uh something that we see widening as the movie progresses from that point on so maybe all these things are in fact happening in his head but the other angle is you know that it really is just such a vapid consumerist society that doesn't care about the content of an individual but just more of the superfluous uh uh you know consumer culture type things like the the brand of uh, suit they're wearing or the watch that they have or the shoes that they have or the type of cologne or the face lotion or whatever. Uh, and and Brett Easton Ellis like goes into deep detail into those things, even in the book. And, and we notice it in the movie as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree. I do like the ambiguity. I, I do like seeing a movie one time and then learning something or, or getting a, a different perspective on it and then watching it again. And then you can read it in a totally different way. Uh, so I think there is a kernel of that as a possibility within this film, but there are also some like areas that just kind of don't hold up. Uh, I mean, there are the iconic scenes that are very memorable and there's just these like scenes that are just kind of there sort of as filler that aren't really memorable at all. And um, you know, overall, I think it's, it's style over substance in just, the movie making, but it still is a, you know, cultural piece. And I think it, it is trying to say something. It is trying to say that uh, this critique of capitalism is that tangible things are more important than human beings. And there's also the separation of, of his humanity from himself. Like he even says he's wearing this mask, this Patrick Bateman mask that's being presented out to the world that's not his true self. And so I, it's possible maybe it's both at the same time, uh, you know, and, and maybe that's intentional. Uh, if you go into it looking for sort of this horror movie experience, then it might be lacking a little bit, especially if at the end it's like not real. But if you go into it with like, and maybe this is like a, you know, psychological you know, schism that's going on uh, within an individual is like fracturing uh, and you can't really tell what's real, then maybe you have a different perspective on it. Um, Overall, I mean, I, I I still enjoyed the movie, and you can hear the full review. I think it's uh, episode one eighty three of our show, and we had our buddy uh, Pat McFarland of Liberty Weekly on for that, and he had done an episode on his show analyzing a chapter in the book, um, and that's episode twenty two of his show. So you can find that at libertyweekly.net slash twenty two, and then actualmanic.com slash one eight three is our episode with Pat talking about his episode on the book, but talking about the movie. And I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put all links for that, too, or at least I'll try to remember to. Uh, I'll, I'll try to hunt all that down. And also, if you want to send me those links, I'll throw them in there, too. Uh, but, yeah, um, I guess that kind of uh, works because they're going to get into um, – you kind of brought up the corporatism again. 
uh, this kind of gets into the whole divide of Konkin and Rothbard. I think it kind of, you know, maybe has plays into this a little bit is one of their best known critiques. Cause whenever, uh, you know, I guess I'll back it up a little bit. Whenever Konkin wrote new libertarian manifesto, he actually sent out copies to multiple, uh, like multiple, like big names in the, the libertarian, like, you know, movement, you know, I think it was Rothbard, uh, God, I, I can't believe I can't think of the other ones. There was a couple other big, huge names, but the biggest one, uh, the most interesting, like, you know, and he sent it to them so they could give him their critiques and he included them in the book because this was his theory and he wanted his thing was like, I want feedback. And the, probably the most renowned feedback was Rothbard. And the big thing Rothbard picked at was that the big part of uh, Konkin's theory was that he basically thought in like a true free society that it was going to be like nothing but entrepreneurs. And he thought like corporatism was like a, essentially a beast of, you know, of the state to some extent. And like that basically it wouldn't be it wouldn't be doable without the state. And Rothbard disputed that because he was a little bit more like, I mean, he's, I wouldn't say Rothbard is like a full on, like, I, I think he understands those critiques to an extent, you know, like that, you know, court, like the corporations do get some kickback from the state and they kind of, to some extent exist off the state, but he kind of made a point that there were some things that that uh, they could, that uh, corporations could do that entrepreneurs couldn't regardless of whether there was a state or not. And I, I I'm kind of in between both of them. Cause I, I think, you know, Conkin brings up a lot of good points and that uh, Rothbard disagreed with them on. I was just looking into it. It's kind of interesting, you know, just seeing them, these two, two, what I consider greats, like kind of duking it out. Cause they actually had a back and forth within the book, you know, cause then Conkin provided his rebuttal to his and it, it was a whole thing. But I just think that's kind of interesting perspective, especially in the vein of this movie, that if you look at it through that perspective, like if I was to do my own show and I was to do the, you know, like an agorist, you know, or a Conkian breakdown of it, it would be a look how the state perverts everything, you know, like this whole you know, job wouldn't exist, you know, in a true free society, or, or if it did, it would be in a totally different, you know, way. Like you look at, you look at Bateman and he's, he's kind of a shitty worker, you know, he like is not really contributing in any way. I mean, I think me and you would both agree in a true free society, he probably wouldn't have that job. You know, a lot of that is, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think they imply that his dad owns a business. So there is some nepotism there. So, I mean, maybe in a true free society, he would, but it just the whole idea of like I think he was in Wall Street, right? Am I correct? I believe he was in Wall Street. Yeah, he yeah. was. He, he bragged to the hookers about it. But, yeah, like investment <laughs> bankers or something like that. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So he, yeah, he was in Wall Street, which I mean, there probably would be something akin to it, but it wouldn't be what it is now. So I just I do think that's interesting perspective to have, and then maybe how that interacts with like the social of having these like vapid, you know, jobs, you know, that really probably wouldn't exist and don't really contribute much. In, in, in a true sense to society, you know, are kind of leeches of the state and how the state perverts. It, yeah, I just thought, thought that was an interesting, you know, how like you can look at it through that way as well. So even from a libertarian perspective, you can kind of justify it, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I, I mean, if you have any input. There's a lot I would probably need to look at to yeah. kind of really form an opinion, but uh, just off the cuff, I mean, I'd say that a stock market in and of itself is simply just selling ownership in a in a going enterprise. And the fact that it's sort of been co-opted and manipulated by the state doesn't mean that it necessarily wouldn't exist otherwise, just probably in a different form. But selling ownership shares in something is a way to organize capital into productive ventures. And they have a you know responsibility to, through the profit and loss mechanism, get feedback from the market telling them if they're satisfying consumers needs, wants and desires. 
And those that don't uh, will end up losing money and eventually going out of business. Those assets will be sold off elsewhere. Uh, to your point about um, whether Patrick Bateman would continue to have a job, I mean, it's possible, especially with the nepotism that you mentioned. Um, I, I think that the corporations in a state structure are given protections that they wouldn't otherwise have, like in, in a free market situation. And perhaps they are able to get larger than they might otherwise, as they are able to utilize government and uh, political clout to get protectionist measures, regulations, and other things that uh, are impediments to competitors. And so that would be a, um, a force that would uh, make, the, make the size of a corporation could be uh, smaller, I think. It would be a, a contracting force because there'd be other firms providing those same goods and services at varying levels of quality, varying prices, et cetera, different strokes for different folks. Like we were talking about in some of the pre-show stuff, uh, with you know cultures and and people living in different areas in the more covenant type community style. Yeah, I agree. I I, I actually kind of on there. Like I, was, I don't know if I necessarily said I think I was implying that I kind of I do think it probably exists but in a different form. And I do think I mean Konkian. I mean not to put words in his mouth. I mean it's been a while since I read, read NLM, but his he was very much like it was going to be in, in his his ideal free state. There would be like. Not, not free state, but free society. It would be nothing but like, honestly, like uh, like uh, nothing but like entrepreneurs. And maybe there might be an argument there because there is, I think that when you do decentralize to a great extent, like maybe, but I do think there is obviously, you know, value to working together as a corporation. But even then it's like, uh, it's, it was, it's, it's a really interesting argument and it gets in the weeds. Like I'm not equipped to really have that. That's why I kind of like teeter back and forth. I kind of like see my thinking is between Konkin and Rothbard. Yeah. You know, it's kind of somewhere in between there. Like, I do think we probably would have something akin to corporations in a truly free society, but it wouldn't be like, I do think they would be greatly reduced and probably take on very, very violently different forms. I mean, I don't mean violent in like a literal violent sense, but, you know, it's way different. <laughs> yeah, different forms. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I do think and maybe there is something to the, over time they would contract and contract and contract to where they're, incredibly decentralized and towards basically nothing resembling a corporation anymore, you know? So, I mean, I really, know. it's just, it's just a, a joining together of, um, you know, an organizational structure. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's pooling resources together and uh, employing them in, in efficient means to produce goods and services. I think that would be totally a, a normal and viable process. Um, but the protectionism, the, the lack of liability and things like that, that uh, are bestowed by governments uh, would would not be in place. Yeah, you know, there'd probably be like insurance models and things like that, and and there would be you know prices associated with the the level of risk involved, et cetera, et cetera. There'd be you know multiple options for insurance companies and dispute resolution organizations of totally different legal structure or a variety of legal structures would be in place. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of rabbit holes we can go down. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, for the sake of the audience and not boring the shit out of them, we'll, we'll probably won't go too down deep into it. Plus, I'm not—I don't think I'm necessarily uh, equipped to go too far down the rabbit hole when it comes to economics. I mean, uh, I'm smarter than your average bear, but uh, you know, just I, I hold it together enough to not look stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? we throw that out the window. Our, our show is is not like intellectual per se. I mean, mm -hmm. there are some points we make that. Looking back, you know, oh, that that was a good point I made like four episodes back, but you know, it took me uh, six hours of content to get that one good point. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
Yeah, that's probably a large part of why I'm not really willing to take a resolute stand between Rothbard's opinion or, or Conkin's. I'm like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> like, they both have very good points. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I mean, our, our show is just like conversational. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not trying to like necessarily present uh, well-researched stuff. I mean, I've read uh, a fair amount and I've listened to a bunch of Rothbard lectures. I have like a hundred of them. Uh, I had readrothbard.com full with uh, transcripts and everything. Uh, anyone can go there and check it out if they want. Um, and I've, I've listened to each one of those, uh, I don't know, like a dozen times. So, you know, I, I have some exposure to a lot of that and, and, and I've been kind of involved in this since uh, the early Ron Paul 2008 days. Yeah, Rothbard has a special place in my heart because I, I, I say often he's a uh, he's what threw me because I, I sat on the fence of minarchy and anarchy for a long time, like a really long time, and I think I think it's a common thing for a lot of people. And it was Anatomy of the State that really put me over because I, I think Anatomy of the State does a really good job of being like, yeah, I mean, you know, as much as you want, it's not gonna fucking work. <laughs> like, and that was kind of my thing. I was just like, well, you know, if we had better people that we did better things, then it would just work, you know. But, you know, Rothbard's kind of like, well, that's kind of retarded. <laughs> that's like not going to happen. You yeah, know, not, not so many words. Um, <laughs> you know, one, of, one of the clips I have is, is him uh, deciding when he flipped from minarchist to anarchist. And it was when he was looking at the economic arguments of, you know, monopoly means that there's going to be less competition and so less incentive to improve or provide better service, lower prices, innovate, etc. And he's like, so why wouldn't I apply that to the judicial system, uh, security services, government itself, bingo, you know, anarchism. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Anarchy is just kind of just applying your principles thoroughly. Cause it's like, you know, you can have a minarchist or generally point out, like, I'm not to make this a minarchy versus anarchy thing, but they'll point out like, you know, well, we need to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, why don't you apply that principle to whatever parts of the state you want to keep? And it's like, well, well cause we need those. And you're like, well, I mean, Supply yeah. the same same principle you're applying on these other other services, so it's the same here. So like, but yeah. we need roads, right? Yeah, but, but who will build the roads? <laughs> yeah. Uh, with that, uh, you know, I, I mean, are you cool with me teasing uh, my possible show show up here soon, or or not? I, I didn't didn't talk to you beforehand. I don't know if you usually keep those secret or what. Uh, go, go for whatever, man. It's your, it's your show. <laughs> All right. I just didn't want to, didn't want to let, let, let the cat out of the bag. Not that it's really that big of a secret. If anything, I've been kind of begrudging about it. Cause, uh, cause I me, mean, as you can see, I'm a big comic book person. So, uh, and I, I like a lot of the comic movie stuff and the, it seems like every, every, uh, every time I'm like, well, what about this thing? Or what about that thing? It's like, you guys have literally like reviewed fucking everything. So I'm like <laughs> every time I'm like, Oh, that's a great idea. You're like, no, I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> So like uh, like I want to do Superman Red Sun because that's like one of my favorite comic books. That is a it's a great refutation of communism. Uh, I want to do Dark Knight Returns because it's just an awesome book. Nope, you already covered it. I'm like no way. But um, yeah, uh, I guess it looks like unless I can find something better because it's kind of begrudging. Do Wonder Woman uh, 1984 and, and that's the one it is right. I don't even know if that's the right title to be honest. Um, so I'll watch that and we'll review it and I'll probably be able to come at it for more comic book. Uh, angle you know with a little bit more knowledge there to be fair i'm not a huge wonder woman fan i will say on the bright side i feel like for the dc universe and film at least she's kind of been one of the only shining things in it and even then like a lot of people were like going on about the first wonder woman movie and like praising it 
I just think it was a good movie. It wasn't amazing. A lot of people were like, like, oh my god, it's so amazing. Like, no, you guys just think it's amazing because all the other DC movies have been shit. So <laughs> <laughs> by comparison, it looks awesome. But yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I hope it's good. I, I mean, it looks like they might be looking up in the DC universe. And I mean, I, I like Wonder Woman as a character. She's not one of my favorites. I mean, she's a cool character. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, maybe I can find something that's more my style. But I don't it might to- be better to not have like a soft spot for, for this character. So I can be a little less biased, you know? <laughs> well, that, that's one of the things is, is when my co-host gets emotional uh, and when mm-hmm. we like are adversarial about something that, that I think makes fireworks on the show. So he has an emotional attachment to certain things and, and we like to get into it uh, doing that. But, you know, if you don't have a strong attachment to doing the Wonder Woman movie, and, and the reason that I, I brought it up is because that's coming out uh, this month, uh, simultaneously released in theaters or I guess elsewhere in the world, you know, in theaters and in the U.S., uh, just on like HBO Max. So it's like a current on-trend kind of movie. But, uh, you know, there's a bunch of comic book movies that we haven't done. And I, I know like a lot of people have talked about maybe doing Civil War or Winter Soldier, something like Ooh. that, um, Endgame even. Oh, you haven't done any of them? No, we haven't done any of those. No, how, we, you, how have you done all the obscure ones that I brought up, but none of these? <laughs> we're attracted to the obscure. Um, yeah. you know, we, we've done Red Sun. We've done uh, Dark Knight Returns. We've done the Nolan trilogy. Uh, we've done Deadpool. We've done uh, Joker. Um, so we, we, we've done a fair amount of comic book, comic book ones. We've done Watchmen. Uh, and a few others. But yeah, we, we, haven't, we haven't done them all. There's, there's a bunch more. Endgame might be an interesting one just because there's so much comic book stuff there. It would almost have to be like a multi-parter because there's so much there. But then at the same time, it'd be fun too because there's so much there's so much shitty to that movie as well. Like I do like Endgame. I like it a lot. And there's a lot of cool little comic book little nuggets here and there. You know, like, you know, for example, that like Bruce Banner can like is more, you know, or is, is the Hulk and is like kind of like a normal person almost. Like that's that has roots in like the in the comics and stuff, and there's a lot of cool stuff like that. But at the same time, there is a lot of like shit that we could totally rip on. Like you know, the most renowned one is that like one scene at the end where all the women show up at the same time and some generic women quip and like we're women and we're here to kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I mean, don't I don't have any problem with women, ass. but <laughs> oh, uh, but, we also did uh, Spider Verse. That was that was a good one. Oh, that is a good. God. Hit all the good ones. That is a great movie. I don't know. I mean, I think it might be best to for now stick with one because I do think I do. I am kind of of the DC movies. That's one of the ones I'm a little more. But I think it is like kind of a nice balance where I can be, I can be, I can be unbiased and I can be fair because I don't have. It's not like I'm going in there like it's not going to crush my dreams that the movie sucks. I mean, I kind of want it to be good because I really do like love a lot of the DC characters. Like Batman vs Superman broke my heart. So like. We'll release so, the Snyder Cut, Justice League. That's yeah, that'll be interesting here. whenever that comes out. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's probably a good spot to go ahead and kill it. Uh, you want to go ahead and drop your plugs? And, uh, sure, yeah. Uh, you, you find everything listed at DanielElwood.com. And uh, Actual Anarchy is the main show. Last Nighters is the normie-friendly version. Um, I'll send you a couple of links from some of the episodes we talked about. I'll give you a list of all the comic book and comic book-related ones, and you can go through those and say ah fuck or shit you know like too bad they did that one already <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah man we, we'd love to have you on um we, we've got uh, a couple of episodes coming up i'm not sure when this is coming out but uh our latest episode is a james bond film uh from russia with love after that we're doing an indian uh bollywood film called three idiots 
and then we're doing a Christmas movie, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, director's cut. You are not shitting about the obscure, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are not joking around. <laughs> doing fucking Bollywood films and shit. <laughs> Look, it's uh, it's one of our recurring guests, and it's one of his favorite films. Okay, that's fair. You know, I mean, I guess that's one of the cool things about having like, because you guys are kind of like a merger between a movie review and an interview show. So it's like, cause that seems to be kind of your thing. And so it's like, you got to guys got to go with what they want. So it's like, it kind of like makes it more all over the place instead of just the generic, like what's on the top 10, you know, that came out or whatever, you know, which is kind of what most movie reviews tend to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's another angle on our, on our show that I really like is that we're talking about something else other than ourselves or a philosophy, like in particular. So it's easier to, uh, discuss like this thing over here versus adversarially, you know, having a contentious discussion. Uh, and the other side of it is like, I think our version of the show is, is more conversational. So it's like, we are talking about something and it's not something that you hear in a lot of other shows where it's like somebody's either presenting information to you or it's an interview just straight up. So I like to think we're in a little niche of a niche. Yeah. Uh, I, I dig it. It's definitely cool. And added the added little like a uh, niche of like we're we're looking at it from a Rothbardian angle. <laughs> That's why I try to throw a little bit of a Conkian angle at you. <laughs> you know, it, we'll see if it sticks with the audience. <laughs> uh, with that, I'm gonna go ahead and drop my plugs real quick. And uh, yeah, I mean we got we got the Facebook group, we got a MeWe, all this stuff, including Daniel's stuff, is gonna be in the video description. We got a library now. We got a bit shoot. We're trying to expand. We got our email, the Liberty Movement at Global. Or the Liberty Movement Global at gmail.com. Sorry, I fucked that up. Um, yeah, we're trying to also compile emails. So if you can, shoot us an email. Or if you're in the MeWe or the Facebook group, just hit me or any of the admins up. Send us your email. We're trying to like you know make moves, you know, set up a site or an email or a newsletter. So that'll be good to have uh, the emails ready to roll. Uh, we also have the merch. Like you guys always see me drinking, drinking my alcohol over here, and I seem to get a little more ruckus as the show goes on. And that's why. Um, and uh, yeah, you can see the little Liberty Movement uh, insignia. We got my buddy, you know, made a little store. He's got that. He's got like shirts, all sorts of stuff. Um, it's good stuff. I have a bunch of it. Uh, he also has some of them are like, uh, he has some shirts that are for like chapters. I think he might only have like a Florida and Oregon one now. But if you're in one of the Liberty Movement chapters and you want one, let him know. He'll make it up. Um, yeah, with that, uh, like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. It's been really great having you on, Dan. I had a lot of fun to come on, uh, no matter what we end up reviewing, even if it is shitty Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, sometimes the bad movies uh, even more fun. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's almost more fun because you get shit on it if it's bad. If anything, it might almost be fun if Wonder Woman does suck because it's like, I mean, it's almost just fun we just get shit on it and not feel bad. It doesn't really hurt my feelings too much. So Yeah, I know a lot of people are excited about when they saw the trailer. And I think it's because, uh, you know, that uh, Stranger Things came out a few years ago and sort of brought uh, 80s style back, like the retro kind of thing. I think that's what they're playing off of. So there's that nostalgia uh, of the 80s. And that, yeah. And I oh, think sorry. that's what's getting people excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There's some, I haven't really looked into it too much. I've only watched like one or two of the trailers. I mean, there's some cool stuff. I mean, I don't know. I, do, I know the... I, I heard rumors that the villain is going to be Maxwell Lord, which he has a lot of cool like comic book lore with him. And there's a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a spoiler, you know, for comics and what might happen in the movie. But one of the most defining moments of Wonder Woman's, uh, you know, just spoiler warning here. If you don't, if you 
you really care that much about this movie, one of the most defining moments of her character was her killing Maxwell Lord. And because she straight up like murdered him because, you know, Wonder Woman's known as being one of the characters who's willing to cross that line because a lot of comic book characters are all, you know, uppity about like, not killing people. And she was never really one of them, but she kind of tried to stray away from it. And this is one of those moments where she just had to, and she straight up just fucking murdered him. Because <laughs> like, I can't remember what the scenario was. I, I mean, I have to look into it, but it was one of those things where it was like, you got to kill him. And if you don't, other people are going to die. And she just unhesitatingly killed him. And it's kind of like, one of those things that kind of followed her. It's kind of one of her defining moments as a character. I think she straight up like broke his neck, you know, like all savage, like Superman did kind of his odd, which doesn't make sense for his character, but whatever. That's a whole other side tangent, but yeah, no. So, I mean, there might be some cool stuff there with that. I mean, I don't know, whatever. I mean, maybe it'll be cool. I hope so. It's look, what I've seen from DC lately looks a little bit up. So I, I kind of hope they things get better. Cause like I said, I do really want them to do well. I feel like I shit on DC a lot, but I want them to do good. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, those points you're bringing up, if those are related to the, this particular film, I think those would be totally worthy of discussion. Uh, so either way, it's going to be great content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But all right. That's a uh, don't want to keep meandering. So uh, that's probably a good spot to stop. So with that, uh, you know, I'll see you guys again next time. Uh, deuces.